Wow, family. What can we say about the story of Abraham? I mean, there's just so much to cover here. We're going to probably be talking about Abraham for the next 10 years. Because there's really a lot to pull and glean from this uh, parsha, And that's the purpose of the Torah portions. They're called portions because that's what we, we, t- we eat a little bit so that we can understand. So today's reading and today's parasha is Lech Lecha. And thus so far, we started with the book of Genesis and we've seen something very interesting. The creation of men, the creation of the world, the fall of man, right? God gets angry and wipes everybody out with the exception of Noah and his family, right? Now we got a whole, you can say a whole new generation, a clean slate, a new beginning, if you want to call it, right? And we even see faults with that because we see that, you know, even Noah came short, right? And now here comes the story of Abraham. Now, why the story of Abraham is so important? Because in Judaism, he is the foundation, the Yesod in Hebrew. What do we say who we serve? We say we serve the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. It starts with Abraham, right? So we need to understand Abraham, for one. Two, because all three major religions claim Abraham. Everybody claims Abraham. There's a reason for it. And we're going to see why. Amen? So let's, let's get in geared here. And I want to first open up with the Humash. Okay? And understanding so that we can come into this together and seeing everything in the same perspective so we can understand Abinu Abraham. And the Humash says this Sidra begins a new birth of mankind. It says the first 2,000 years from creation were the era of desolation, they say. Adam had fallen, Abel had been murdered, idolatry had been introduced to the world. We're going to talk a little bit about that idolatry because this is very important, folks. Okay. It says idolatry had been introduced to the world. Ten dismal generations from Noah had failed. Abraham was born in the year 1948 from creation, the sages of Israel say. Does that ring a bell? What nation was born in 1948? Israel. Coincidence? (laughs) I think not, family. See, everything is cyclical in the Torah portions. Abraham, born in 1948 after after creation, and then we see the nation of Israel literally born in 1948. You think the Father's trying to relate a message in here? Absolutely. The birth of the nation of Israel in 1948 is a significant part of history, but not just history, family. It's not just a history book. Spiritually, what the Father is doing. We have to awaken and see with the eyes through the Torah. Amen. We'll cover more of that in just a minute. So in the year, listen to this, in the year 2000, four years after the dispersion and six years before the death of Noah, he started to influence disciples to serve Hashem. Abraham was already proclaiming and making disciples in the area that he lived in. Very, very interesting. You want to know why? Because in the uh, Rashaul, known as Paul, says in the gospel and in, 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 uh, in the epistle of Galatians, he said that the gospel was already preached to Abraham. What gospel? I thought the gospel started with Mark. 
But here he's saying the gospel was already preached to Abraham. So what do you think Abraham was doing here? Making disciples. What did Yeshua tell his disciples? To go and make what? Disciples. You think this is cyclical, family? Very cyclical. So Abraham is making disciples. By the way, according to the Humash, Abraham and Noah would have lived in the same time frame as well. You know, Noah would have died, of course, you know, first, but he would have known Noah is what I'm saying. Now, I want you to just pause there for a minute because something huge happened with Noah. What? Oh, I don't know. God destroyed the whole earth. Like, you know, like it's not a tiny little event. It's a big event. Now, understand this. Please, please understand what I'm telling you. At this point, Noah now is sharing with everybody what God did. In other words, Noah is kind of like a new foundation, so to speak. It's no longer Adam, but now it's Noah. So Abraham would have known what God did through who? Noah, more than likely. Okay, and so on and so forth. So where am I going with this? That the essence the essence of God was very fresh at that time. Meaning there really wasn't, you know, it's not like today where we've been 6,000 years removed and idolatry has spread in every direction. We're talking about something fairly new. God just destroyed the earth. We're starting fresh. Everybody, it's kind of like right now God came down and wiped everybody out and some of us got saved. And now, okay, we know directly we saw God, we saw his wrath, and you know, we're going we're gonna to go all over the world proclaiming him, right? So the essence of the God, the one true God, the God that we can't say the God of Abraham at this point, but the God of Noah at this point, right? Who knew Adam, who created everything, did this, and this is what he commands, and this is what he demands from his people. So... I want you to put yourself historically at the right time frame so we can understand. I always say, family, if you do not put yourself in the shoes of the people at that time, meaning get into the character, dive in there, put yourself there, you're really not going to understand what they're trying to convey to you. You understand me? Stop reading the Bible from a third, points of third point of view. Get in. Be in the character. If you were living at that time, then you would have heard from Abraham. Wow, the God, the creator of everything, the one who called to be in it, it existed. This is the one true God. This is the one that formed uh, Adam. And, and we have witnessed what he has done. And now here we are in the time frame, right? So now Abraham is taking actually this to heart. He believes. So now he's making disciples, right? The aspect of making a disciple is not new, by the way. We see it all the way here with Abraham. So look, let's continue in here. So it says that now he's influencing disciples to serve Hashem, essentially. Kind of like what you've been called to do, to serve, to influence. How do we influence people, family? How do you influence somebody to serve the God of Israel? By being an example. Because I'm, I always wonder what Bible did Abraham use? Right? What New Testament scripture reference did he give? Forget about New Testament. I mean, what Bible did he use? I mean, what prophets did he turn to to show that this was the real God? You understand? He didn't. Because he had it in his heart. He understood it. 
it was all transmitted. And the whole aspect of being transmitted, folks, is that it was in here and it was in here. Something that we lost today. Because you see, today, we don't only have Bibles. I mean, now we have phones. We don't even have to buy a Bible anymore. You just go ahead and press your button and do all this number and it's there. We don't memorize the Word of God. In a way, technology is good, but in a way, it's done a big disservice at the same time. Because we're not really doing what we're supposed to, and that is memorize His Word. So that they can be engraved in your brain and in your heart. Amen? So it says in here, with the emergence of Abraham now, the era of desolation had come to an end, and the era of the Torah has begun. Avodah Zarah 9a says that. The era of desolation has ended, and the era of the Torah has begun. When? 1948. Amen. You getting this? 1948, Israel has become a nation. See, how do we know about Torah today? We know about Torah because Israel exists. That's right. 1948 family. If 1948 would have never happened, we wouldn't be here today. Studying Torah, we wouldn't have this Torah scroll here today. But the era of desolation has ended. The era of the Torah has begun. I submit to you that we're still in the era of the Torah. We're learning Torah right now. Amen. So look, Genesis 12.1. Let's dive into it. Now with that little information and putting everything in a historical perspective without going into all the details. Okay. Understanding that Noah lived more around read that's, that's at the same time that Abraham lived and that this was all passed down at this point and that everybody, everybody and every single human being knew about the God of Noah. There's no doubt about it at to this point because it's not that far off. Again, we're not talking about, you know, 6,000 years later. This is very fresh. What happens then? What happens? They know about this God, right? They know about Abraham. They know about Noah. So let's get, let's get into the, now, now begins, as I call it, the Abraham saga. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There's something very amazing about this. Because he says in Hebrew, it opens up by saying, Vayomer Yehovah el Avram lech lecha, it says. First and most, it says, Lech Lecha, the very opening of the story of Abraham begins with the words, Lech Lecha. I will submit to you today that the beginning of your journey for each and one of us in this room today needs to be Lech Lecha. Amen. You see, if you don't have Lech Lecha, you have nothing. We're going to explain what Lech Lecha really truly means. Because I believe that this is the problem that we have in the Messianic movement. Many of us have not Lech Lecha yet. Look, the word Lech Lecha, the root of the word is Halach. Okay, what is Halach? Your walk, right? To walk, but look, it also means to depart, to proceed, to move, to go away, essentially. He tells Abraham... Lech Lecha, which literally is transmitted to do this, but not just to do it, just because. Do it for yourself. In other words, I'm asking you to do something for yourself, for your benefit, not for my benefit, for your benefit. So let's see what our greatest sages have to say about this. We read in the Baal Haturim, Baal Haturim Bereshit, it says, Lech Lecha 
It says that God alluded to Abraham when you will reach the age of 100 corresponding to the gematria. Do you know that the word lech lecha in Hebrew has a numerical value of 100? The sages are saying that by that he, is, he was corresponding that I will begin my fulfillment of the promise and I will make you a great nation for then Isaac will be born to him. When was Isaac born to him? When he was 100. Who is Isaac in Judaism? A representation of the Mashiach. The deliverer of Israel. But there's something before we proceed forward that I want to share with you. Is that at what age did he, Hashem told Abraham to lech lecha? 75. 75 years old. And he said the fulfillment of this won't come into you 100. How many years is that? My math is not very good. 25 years. In other words, let me put it in real perspective to you. So a lot of times we don't really meditate. You see, I have nothing better else to do but to think about this. So, okay. Here's the thing, okay. 25 years and, and, and Hashem tells Abraham, get up and go now. But I'm not going to fulfill anything to 25 years down the road. Why couldn't Hashem wait it? I don't know, until six months before he was 100 to call him out. <laughs> See, this is the part that we're not understanding. This is the part that we're not understanding, folks. You see, let me explain something to you. We have what we call a plague in America. Okay? And we want it now. We want it here and we want it now. And in the age that we live in with technology and everything is fast, 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 fast. And God is not fast, 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 fast. God is slow. Somebody told me, slow and steady wins the race. You see, but there's a purpose more why God is slow. It's not really technically slow. He's slow for our sake. Because we're going to find out here why 25 year gap. Before the fulfillment of Isaac. What happens between now and then? By the way, in order to really appreciate this, you need to understand, which I'm not going to go into today because I won't bore you to death, but you need to understand the story of Haran. The life that Abraham had in Haran was very good. I mean, he, he was very wealthy. He came from a family of wealth. Very prestige. Why did God tell him to leave the comfort if the, the promise is not 25 years later? What was God thinking? I wish he wants you to think about this because many of you are being called. You want to do the Lord's ministry, but you want it now. What if you have to wait 25 years? Will you be angry with the Lord? You'll be dead? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, honestly, how many years did it took for Isaac to come along? Ten years he had to wait. Folks, these are things that we need to understand about how the, f the creator works so that we don't lose faith. I believe that's one of what I always tell you guys. I'm probably boring you to death with this every Shabbat. I always tell you that the biggest tool that the enemy uses is expectations. You see, if he can, if he can give you a false expectation, what happens? You lose faith. And if you lose faith, he's won the battle already. So you got to understand that this is a game of the enemy. This is a race. Paul says a race. We're all going to the same direction. We're all supposed to be aiming for the same direction. The problem is that along the, along the way, 
we're all getting distracted. There's voices, there's, you know, parades in here, there's popcorn here, you know, there's all these things that we're doing and we're not staying focused in the race. We need to be focused in the race. Look, so it says in here that Lech Lecha is the Gematria is 100. So this is, we're talking about, he said at 100 is when I'm going to be doing this, where I'm going to bring Isaac. So Isaac plays a big role. In other words, Isaac plays a big role in the fulfillment of Abraham's call. You understand this? Look, the Zohar shares this with us. Rabbi Eliezer said, Lech Lecha, go for yourself to refine yourself. I don't know. You got you to understand something, folks. In Jewish thought, everything is cyclical. See, the problem is that when we read the Bible, we're still reading the Bible like a Roman. We're not reading the Bible like a Jew. Hate to say it, but it's true. I'm not talking about bloodline. I'm talking about the faith. We need to start understanding that everything that the Father is doing through the people, through the patriarchs, corresponds to Israel. In other words, we're going to notice here today that the, the life of Abinu Abraham, it is a foreshadow what awaits the nation of Israel. We already seen that 1948 was the birth, right? That's a shadow right there of Israel. Now we're going to start seeing more aspects of this. Why did he tell Abraham to leave? And by the way, when he left, where did he go? Where did Abraham go when he left? The desert. What happened when Israel left Egypt? Where did they go? The desert. Are you seeing the part? Are you seeing here the connection with the nation of Israel? Now, you're probably saying, okay, that's good and dandy, Richard, but what does that have to do with me? Oh, I don't know. Because, you see, you've been grafted into a people called Israel. Amen. And what happens to them happens to you. Right. You understand that? Don't be scared. Because, you see, Israel is the one that's marching into the new Jerusalem. Amen. You're getting this. So that's a good thing. So what happens in here? It says that you are to leave for the purpose of refining yourself. Look, to perfect your rung. What is the word rung? See, my English is really bad, so I have to actually go into, yeah, very good, Carrie. Yeah, I have to go, I, you see, I don't, my English is terrible, so I cannot understand what is this word rung. It is a what? A support and a ladder, a horizontal support to put your foot on. <laughs> this is powerful. This connects to the sulam. We'll talk about that another day, the ladder. But look, it says in here, to perfect your rung. Essentially, the rung, it has to do with the support. It has to do essentially with faith. Because what supports us? The faith. So how many of you in this room today, honestly, feel that you need more faith? You do? Good. Because you see, here's the thing. Hashem is going to teach you faith. But he's going to teach you faith not the way you want it. He's going to teach you faith the way he desires for you. And what is the parameters of faith and throughout the Bible? It starts with Abinu Abraham right now. The story of Abraham is, okay, I want you to get out and I want you to go to the desert. So I'm going to show you who I am. And I'm going to remove all the power and authority from you. And I'm going to handicap you pretty much. Well, you have no other choice but to trust in me. How does that sound? Sound good? Scary. scary good. That's good. Supposed to be scary. But that's how you build faith. Because one thing that stands true with the story of Abraham is a man of faith. And what does the writer of Hebrews says? That without faith, we cannot what? Please God. 
So I don't care how many zitzits you put on. I don't care how Jewish you look. I don't care how much you fast. I don't care how much prayers you do throughout the day. It is all profane in the eyes of the Almighty. Your prayers are a profanity if you have no trust in God. Simply put. I'm not saying it. The writer Hebrew says it. You don't have to blame me for that one. We have it starts with emunah. No emunah? Don't even pray. You have no faith? Go ahead and eat pork. Honestly, go and live a life of sin. Because why pretend? It starts with faith, family. I know this is hard, but you have to hear it. Baruch Hashem. Let's see here. It says in here that it was for the purpose of perfecting. Look, lech lecha. You are not to stay here among the wicked. Through discovering God and expressing love, Abraham eventually attained the rung of chesed. The support of chesed. What is chesed? Grace. How many of us want grace? This is how it all starts. So look, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out from your family, from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, we're going to cover this because the order and how this is in Hebrew, is, there's a remes in there, actually. A deeper meaning and a teaching what he's conveying to Abraham. But before we get to that, it says to a land that I will show you. What land is it that, you know, most of us, when we read the story of Abraham, we think that Abraham stepped into the desert and didn't have a GPS. And God was just saying, well, I'm going to show you the land. Don't worry. And the land was obscure. I will submit to you that this is now where we're going to make the connection. Abraham knew where he was going. So what does he mean by show you? Let's see. I'm going to revert back to Genesis chapter 11, okay? Because it's, I, I, it begs the question, why did Hashem say this to Abraham? The land that I will show you. Look, in Genesis 11:31, from last week's parasha, we read this. It says, and Terah, who's Terah? His father, right? Now, hold on. Don't read. Terah, right? Terah is his father. Was Terah a godly man? Why you say that? Why you say he wasn't a godly man? He made, he made idols. Okay. How about if I were to tell you that Terah actually believed supposedly in the God, the creator, the God of Noah. You want to see how? Let me show you how. Look what it says in Genesis eleven thirty one, And Terah took his son who? Abram. And his grandson, Lot. And the sons of Haran. And his daughter-in-law, Sarai. His son, Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Terah was going to the land of Canaan. But wait a minute, I thought Abraham was supposed to go to the land of Canaan. They were already making this journey to Canaan, family. All of them, including the idol worshiper Terah. Why is it that Terah was going to Canaan? You see, it's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. This is not even a commentary. This is literally scripture, shot level. They were all going to Canaan. What happened? They stopped in Haran. And then, of course, uh, Terah died in Haran. Something very prophetic happening in here. But they were all heading to Canaan. Let's see what our greatest sages say in here. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. But the goal was Canaan. 
you got to see this folks because I'm going to submit to you today that most of the people back then were claiming that they believe in God most of the people at that time knew that Canaan there was a spiritual level of attainness to go to Canaan kind of like today everybody believes in God right everybody believes that Jerusalem is yeah the God that's the one true God but do we all look the same Let's see this. Look. Look what our greatest uh, sages say. The Sforno teaches this and share this with us. Terah senses that the land of Canaan represented the potential for spiritual excellence and a place which could cause revolutionary change in the history of mankind. Why would Terah believe that? What is an idol worshiper have anything to do with Canaan? Think about this. He is saying, the Sforno is saying in here, that Terah's thought was that going to Canaan was actually achieving spiritual height, essentially. Is that true? Absolutely. There's something about Canaan, Jerusalem, Israel, essentially, that all mankind are drawn to. Look, hence the Almighty's command to Abram, to the land that I will show you, cannot mean that the land was unknown to Abram. Because they were already heading there. Right? So it says in here, therefore, the Sforno interprets this phrase to mean a particular, a particular place in Canaan. Mount Moriah, perhaps? Because Canaan covers a whole big area, all Israel for the most part. But spe specifically Mount Moriah. But what's really intriguing about this, folks, that we cannot ignore is that why Tara still wanted to go to this place when he was an idol worshiper? See, we have an issue today. If I right now completely ignore God's laws, but are claim to some divine being, and I hold, can I borrow that? If I hold this Bible, you automatically think that I'm serving God. It's always been the issue with mankind. See, Tara was doing the same thing. See, just because we claim the same God doesn't mean that we worship in the same God family. Understand this. I, mean, I, I don't even know how to explain this to you. That, and I, I have expressed this before. There was no such thing as a Darwinism back then. People believe in a divine being back then, especially at this point in history. So the context in here is not a, a non-believer versus a believer. All of them claim that they believe, but they all didn't worship the same way. It was very religious back then, folks. Extremely religious. This is a factor that we need to understand, folks, because we live in a society today where everybody, everybody in God are like this, good friends. And just because they pick up that Bible and they call upon a name does not mean that they're serving him any more than Terah was serving the God of Israel, even though he was heading towards Canaan. Look, let me share more on this in a minute. So it says in here, 
get out of your country from your family and for your father's house. Now, it's interesting how this reads in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it says, Merzecha umimoldecha umibeit avicha, it says. The order in Hebrew, how this present is very, very prophetic. Because before we can lech lecha in our journey, each and one of you needs to understand this order. Because this order represents the order of the wilderness. Before you step out into the wilderness, you need to understand this order. Let's start with merzecha, it says in Hebrew. That is, get out from your country. Merzecha is the land. Okay? From the land, then it says, umimol decha. Umibeit avicha. From your family. And the third one, from your father's house. Each and one of these, the sages of Israel says, corresponds to a reward when we overcome. And a spiritual growth as we go along the journey. Let me explain in here through. Or Chaim Lech Lecha says this. The Torah lists the departures according to the pain of leaving, of leave-taking involved. It is less painful to leave one's country than to leave one's birthplace. And it is even more painful to leave one's family. Abraham is commanded to leave in an ascending order of the nostalgia involved, essentially. In other words, this walk, folks, is going to entail one point in your life. You're going to have to cut ties. You might have to cut ties with your family. You might. You may not. Why was it important that he had to cut ties with his family, Abraham specifically? Because idol worship, for one. And there cannot be what agreement has the temple of God with idols, according to Corinthians. None. So why is it, can I ask you a question? Why is it that we're trying to out there talk Torah with people who are not in Torah? Honestly, I mean, I'm being that serious. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. Why would I sit here and talk Torah with you? I'm not going to cast my pearls to you. We have to understand, folks, this is the battle that we're battling today. Again, we think we are all one when we're not. I hate to say it, family, but you're going to find out your own way. We're not one. The moment we have to sit here and start defending our faith, and now you find yourself not defending a teaching, you find yourself defending who God is. That's a problem. I mean, it's one thing if we disagree, and hey, how do we tie zidzits? That's what Jews do. They argue about things like that. No big deal. At the end of the day, we all know who we worship. We're on the covenant. We understand that. We're not arguing milk. We're arguing just things that, hey, let's just talk about it. Gray areas. But when you start arguing about the character of the divine being that you worship, wake up, family. You're fighting another deity. You're fighting, essentially, an idol. This is the issue that we're having with Terah and Abraham. And this is why God did what he did. Abraham died in Haran, not going to the trip. And we're going to find this out why in a minute. So let's continue in here. The Orchaim continues saying, He complied with the most difficult part of the test by leaving his parental home. You got to understand that in Hebrew when it says, Beit Avicha, 
your father's house it's not literally talking about the house okay that's why we have to read now the bible through the jewish eyes the house represents the teachings for instance when you're going to go studying hebrew torah where do you go to debate midrash the house of midrash the house it's the teaching it's your father's teaching that he passes on to you because you see back then believe it or not they believed in training the children you see today we don't do that we're too busy working we're too busy with life we're too busy doing this and doing that but back then they actually had idle time they sat down and talked to the children and actually engraved to the children who god was so when we talk about the Bible, Beitecha is talking about the Father's house, is talking about the Father's teaching. So it says in here that he had to first break ties with that. The manner in which the Torah describes the process indicates that Abraham received an additional reward for each stage. Meaning, because he overcame and he was able to break ties, he was able to leave the country. And by the way, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, his country. Because you see, here's the problem that we're having today, folks. Most of us are not fulfilling this because we're still holding on to our country identity. We're still holding on to the teachings of our fathers, but we're claiming the God of Israel. Isn't that what Terah was basically doing? Essentially, we can say. Safely, we can say that's what Terah was doing. Terah kept his identity. Terah kept his idols, but he still wanted Canaan. <laughs> That's the, that's the story for all religious organization, folks. They want their cake and they want their icing too and they don't want to do nothing for it. This is what we're talking about. It doesn't work that way, not with the God of Israel. It may work like that with any other God out there, but the God of Israel is very specific. It is my way and my way only. And America is not training you to that. You see, America trains you, oh, you can have any other way. You can choose any color you want. You can go to a restaurant and choose all these menus and all, the, I mean, you name it. We are been so pampered that the very foundation of this, now we struggle with it. Because we don't want to hear it's my way or the highway. What are you talking about? That's too ancient. We got choices today. Yeah, you see, the enemy is very, very, very crafty. All this to get you off the wagon and really in your faith. So it says in here, the matter which the Torah described the process indicates that Abraham received an additional reward for each stage. It is possible that whereas Abraham's departure from Kasdim, Ur Kasdim had included a migration of his whole family, now God demanded that he leave his family behind. In other words, think about this, folks. They were all going to Canaan, right? And God stops and says, no, 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 no. This journey, it's not for all your family. This journey is specifically for you because your heart is right with me this is not a whole group thing that you're going to go together even though they were heading in that direction according to genesis 11 they all were heading to canaan look what the uh, old chaim says he says that this whole thing at the end of the day he was supposed to leave his family behind abraham did not understand this correctly this is why he took lot with him alternately Abraham did not understand that he was not supposed to take Lot with him. But listen to this. This is another character that Old Chaim is expressing of Abraham. Why did Abraham didn't stop? And even though he kind of knew that, you know what? Lot's not supposed to come with me. But Lot volunteered to come with me. Look what the Old Chaim says. The latter was so attached to him that he insisted on coming along with his own. 
when the Torah says in 12.5, Genesis 12.5, that he did take Lot with him, the meaning is merely that he did not push him away until he found a suitable pretext as he did not want to shame his nephew. This is the reason why he didn't tell Lot, no, you ain't coming with me because you're just an, another idolater. But he didn't want to shame him in front of the people. You know, the whole shame thing is very important, folks. We need to make sure that we're not shaming one another, that we're protecting the identity of one another. This is, again, character traits that we see in Avinu Abraham. Now, why is that important? Because we claim the God of Abraham. Starts with Abraham. So we need to understand and carry that just as he did. So look what it says in here. He didn't want to shame his nephew. As soon as Abraham found a minor pretext, it says, to separate from Lot, such as when the shepherds of Lot and those of Abraham began feud, he used the incident as an excuse to separate. Now that makes sense. Let's read it together. Genesis 13, 7, 8 says, And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites dwell in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. Who was the one that asked to be separated? Abraham. Lot didn't say, I want to leave. Abraham took the opportunity. He said, okay, this is the open window. Now I can do it where I'm not going to bring shame to my nephew. Look what he says in here. Separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Look, after Lot separated from Abraham, I'm going to share something with you today. Many of you are carrying a lot in your life. And you don't let your lot go. You got to cut your lot off. For all those who like punks, you're going to love this one. Right? But you do need to cut your lot off your life. Look what happened. Abraham tells him, remove yourself. Because remember, they were all going to Canaan. It's not obscure. But this whole aspect of going to Canaan, it's not a group, you know. We're not doing a group tour here. Okay? This is something that is very, very spiritual, and it's not for you guys. God wants me, and that's it. And the ones that are, by the way, who left with Abraham? We're going to cover that in a minute. It's very interesting. Who was worthy to go to Canaan? So after Lot separated from Abraham, Genesis 13, 14, look what it says. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now, look from the place from where you are, northward, southward, eastward. Now he shows him the promise. When? In the Pashat? Says, after Lot separated. See, many of you are stuck. You're like, I, I don't know what God wants from me because you may be holding on to a lot in your life. You need to cut that lot off. Cut him off and the Lord will show you. Because he did it with you know, Abraham. See, only after Lot removed. Why Lot? Because, you know, we all know that Lot was involved in idolatry, folks. But he still claimed the God of Israel. See, that doesn't count. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't count just because they say, I believe in, you know. I don't have to tell you. Because guess what? A Muslim will say the same thing. What are you going to do with that? Defend your Jesus. Defend your God now. A Muslim will say the same thing. Hey, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob too. 
And we believe that Muhammad is essentially the Messiah. But really, it's the same one. It's just we call him Muhammad because we're Arabs. You guys call him Jesus because you are Christians. Oh, you guys Jews are you call him Yeshua. No, they're not one and the same, folks. Amen. Come on now. Seriously. This is what is showing us through the story of Abraham. That's why his father was not allowed to go. This is why Lot needed to be cut off completely. Because there is no, and I'm going to repeat it again, there is no connection between idols and the temple of God. Amen. Simply put, and into that actually resonates in our mind and becomes part of our hearts we're going to continue stumbling we're going to be bringing the lots with us everywhere we go and because we're bringing the lots with us we're not seeing the picture abraham was shown the picture after lot was removed. i'm going to continue remembering you that Amen. who said that the scripture says that it's not richard's theology it's very plain in the plain shot level it reveals that Look, Or Chaim Lech Lecha says this. The fact that God had not communicated with Abraham for a while until immediately after he separated from Lot, 13, 14, indicates that God had been waiting for the moment when Lot would finally separate from him. Amen. See, he got rid of Terah because Terah just died in Haran. But now Lot coming along. Now he's saying, no, 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 no. Now you're going to have to get cut off. Look, only then, and only then, Or Chaim says, then did God show Abraham the extent of the land that would eventually belong to his descendants. In other words, why wasn't Lot allowed to see the land? Because it was never for his descendants. It was for the descendants of Abraham. You understanding this? The land, the people connect together with the God of Israel. Look, it's not the same family. You see, that land, that land connects to covenant. You're not in covenant. I don't care how many times you pray in a day. I don't care whose name you're calling. You're not in covenant. You're not entering that land. Simply put, black and white. It's, it's a God of covenant. That's why it's Israel. Israel is a covenant name. It went from Jacob to Israel. We'll cover that later in the parasha. So look, it says in here, God delayed fulfilling the last part of the promise contained in our verse until Abraham had rid himself of Lot. In other words, God could have shown this land to Abraham a lot sooner. Sometimes, what I'm going with this, sometimes the journey is long because of us. See, when he finally said, ooh, wait a minute, I need to get rid of this guy. This guy's a stumbling block. Okay, yeah, you could have done that probably 10 years ago, buddy. And you could have saved yourself 10 years of pain. 10 years of, you know, uh, what do I do? 10 years of, you know, being confused. We have to get rid of our lots, folks. If you walk out of here today with anything, remember that. You have to get rid of my lot. I got to get rid of my lot. Because we're carrying lot with us. We're carrying the baggage. And God is saying, I can't use you. Unless you got that baggage, I ain't going to use you for nothing. Because you see, the problem is that we're going to end up defiling it. Because we have lot with us. An additional meaning of the instruction to Abraham to go for yourself 
It's not so much that he was to be alone, but that he was to benefit spiritually by this migration. Now understand that Abraham's departing for Haran and going into what? Canaan, right? Now I didn't cover this today, but there's a desert, right? How many of you hike here? So you understand a small little hike, especially in this terrain, can be pretty uncomfortable. Imagine at 120 degree, with sand, winds that exceed over 100 miles per hour in the Negev. They have to travel all this, folks, and they didn't have cars back then. Do you understand how hard this journey was? Why am I explaining this? Because some of you in here, and not just in here, in the Messianic movement overall, we want to serve God, but we want it to be easy. There is no, can I, can I share something with you right now? I'm going to be honest with you. There is no such thing as an easy walk with God. Amen. None. Even for the simplest little thing, you're going to have to toil, and you're going to have to toil, and you're going to have to toil, and you're going to have to continue to toil, because Scripture says that with much travail, with much travail, we will enter into the kingdom of God. Many of us want to enter into the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travail. And you got a problem. See, God will never use you. And you are borderline, borderline at the end of the day, at risk of not entering yourself. Look, I'm already told that I need to hurry up, so I'm going to move on. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore, come I'm out from among them and be separate. This is New Testament scripture. Come from a mountain and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's why he had to get rid of Lot, by the way. This is the reason why he had to get rid of Lot. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He tells, tells and now uh, Hashem is telling Abraham that this is what's going to happen. You know, when God gives you a promise, folks, don't expect for it to be fulfilled next week. Because this didn't become fulfilled until when? It's a trick question. It hasn't. We're still working in the family of Abraham being built family. Isn't that something? Abraham's family still being built. And in you, all the nation. Now we're going to understand why I say this. Let me share this with you. And Hebrews says... When it go, let me go back. When it says in here, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Hebrews says, Venibrahu Bechakol Mishfachot Haadama. It says. That word in there in Hebrew, when it says Venibrahu. <laughs> let me share this with you. Why does it mean? What does it mean that all the families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham? The word Beni Brahu, the only way we're going to understand is again, we go back. In the Talmud, in Yavamot 63a, says this look, Rabbi Eliezer further stated, What is meant by the text, and in thee shall the families of the earth be blessed? They ask. And look what their response was. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Abraham, I have two goodly shoots to engraft on you. Ruth the Moabite, the Moabitess, and Nahum the Ammonitess. 
In other words, has everything to do but being grafted in. This is what the Talmud is sharing, that that word, he's saying that he's still going to engraft Ruth. Did that become true? Yeah. You see? And then that, but look, it gets better. Then it says in here, all the families of the earth, even the other families who live on the earth, are blessed only for Israel's sake. All the nations of the earth, even the ships that go from Gaul to Spain, are blessed only for the sake of Israel. All the nations that will accept your covenant will be grafted into Abraham. And now they will become a blessing out of all over the face of the earth. Why a blessing all over the face of the earth? Because the more people come into the covenant of Abraham, the quicker the earth re gets redemption. It says, it says that the earth is crying out for redemption according to Romans. Why is the earth crying out for redemption? You see? Thunderstorms, snow in July, whoa, doomsday. No, the earth is crying out for redemption. Why? Because the inhabitants of the land don't keep the covenant. That's right. Do you know that the earth's supposed to get a rest every six years? Have we done that? No. That's why right now the earth is crying out. See, we have the, pr we have the solution for the problem, folks. It starts here on earth. We have to do a stirring here on earth to move the heavens, folks. So the more people come to Abraham, the earth now gets the redemption that it needs. That's why it says, and in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Look, Galatians 3.8 says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What do we started this teaching today? Abraham was making disciples. Preaching the gospel of who? Can I share something with you? You see, Yeshua existed back then. Amen. He didn't start in the book of Mark or Matthew. Right. He's always been. Now, we'll cover that next year because I'm going to show you that he was preaching the Messiah. We'll do that next year. So look, it says in here, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel in connection with? The gospel is in connection with the blessing of Abraham. That in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He connects it, the gospel, with that right there. Now, how many times you heard in your church, oh yeah, the gospel is going back to Abraham? No. But the reality is, it is going back to Abraham. And it has to do with being grafted into Abraham, to be specific. Romans chapter 11, 17 to 21. But if some of the branches were broken off and you through an our wallet shoe were grafted in among them. You know, I, I think I'm going to present this scripture every Shabbat to remind us that you were grafted in. I think we need a reminder every week that you don't own this faith. This faith was already existent. You have been welcome to join in. Stop trying to change it. Stop trying to change it. You're not the owner of the faith. You were grafted into this faith by the grace of God through our Messiah Yeshua. You, that is the gospel, the Messorah. You have been grafted into the existing faith of Israel. Stop trying to change his name. Stop trying to make moderations in the house because you're not the owner of the house. Okay? This is the issue that we're having. A big issue, which is why we can't fulfill the calling. 
of Lech Lecha. How can we fulfill Lech Lecha if we're doing a different Lech Lecha? We have to do the Lech Lecha of Abraham. This is the Chazon. This is the vision. Look. You were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. Because we have a problem with the branches, don't we? They're too Jewish. And they don't know what the heck they're talking about because they're not Yeshua. The scripture says, don't be arrogant towards them. But fear. Okay? Fear. Why? If you are, which I submit to you we have been, if you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You were grafted in. Remember that, folks. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. How did the branches got broken off? Because God blinded them. See, the whole Sunday school teaching, oh, they killed Jesus. Guess what? Guess who was in charge of that? God himself. He allowed it. And it says in Isaiah, it pleased them. But here we are rebelling against that. Because through their falling, you have now been grafted in. That is the best Torah, by the way, folks. That is the gospel. That is the gospel in a most pure sense. The Messiah came, died, resurrected, so that the Gentiles can be grafted into the covenants of Israel. Thus, the fulfillment of a new, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why we're still fulfilling that right now as we speak. Says that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. What makes you think you're so special? Because you're calling up on a name? You think you're special? No, folks. doesn't work that way. The Jerusalem Targum says this. Look. In Genesis 12.5, look what it says. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions which they had acquired, and all the persons whom they had what? converted in Haran and they went forth to the land of Canaan. You know the whole aspect of discipling? See this is another word that we don't like to hear. I don't want to be converted to anything. You got a problem. I love that I got converted. By the way that is literally the meaning of the new man. If you're a new man you have been converted. Get over yourself. Okay, this is the problem. Terminologies that throws us off, and now because the terminology has been abused, because that's what the enemy does. He defiles terms so that you run away from it. The reality is you are to convert people to the God of Israel. And that, I will submit to you, is the problem that we have in today. We don't have enough people converting. That's why we cannot have lech lecha. If there's no conversion, there's no lech lecha. We can walk. Because we're still carrying a lot with us. And we're still carrying our country with us. And we're proud about it. You know what I'm proud of? Being part of the Jewish people and being part of Israel. And serving the God of Israel. Amen. That's my allegiance, family. Amen. You know, God and country. Yeah, Israel. Amen. Israel. Not America, not Texas. Israel. Okay? <laughs> Israel. 
Israel. Okay? Baruch Hashem. So we're going to conclude with this. Genesis 15, 1 and 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is the problem that we're not hearing that. That through the journey, God is saying, I am going to shield you. I am going to protect you. Today's half Torah, we're going to see how. But let's go on with this because I'm really being told that I got to move. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? You think Abraham was worrying about how much money he had? <laughs> See, back then it wasn't about the Kesef family. It was about the fruit. If you die with a million dollars but you have no fruit, it was a curse. It was always about people, relationships, passing this on to your next year and be able to see your fruit walk in the ways of the God of Israel. I submit that we need to go back to that. Look, what will you give me seeing that I go childless and in the heir of the house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, it says, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed. Now here's the problem. That the word believe, I will submit to you through the system of religion that we came out has been diluted completely and we don't really fully understand it through the lenses of the Torah. This is the problem that we have in. Simple terms as believe. You know how many times you were told in the system of religion that you came out, oh, you have to do this, just believe. And you walk out of there, okay, I believe. I don't know in what, but <laughs> it's, it's vague. What am I believing? That he died resurrected? I wasn't there. How can I even believe that for that matter? See? Because we're not understanding belief. Look. He believed in the Lord. And he has counted him to righteousness. Look what the Targum says. The Targum was comprised, by the way, in, in second, third century. So this is like one of the oldest manuscripts. Look what it says. He had faith in the memra of the Lord. The Memra of the Lord, the word Memra, it translates back from the Septuagint to the Word, which goes back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So who did he, Abraham, have faith in? According to the Targum, the Memra, which is the Word, which is the Messiah. Look, he had faith in the Memra of the Lord and he reckoned it to him as merit. Why? Look, the Targum, Jerusalem, expounds because he did not speak rebelliously against him. Wow, that adds a lot more to the picture, right? Because how many times God said, I'm going to do something for you. And when you don't believe, do you know you're rebelling? That's a rebellious heart. That's no bueno. Why Abraham was accounted to righteousness? Because he believed. He didn't speak against the promise. Think about it, folks. Abraham is wandering this wilderness. He knows where he's going. He's going to Canaan. But nonetheless, you think that at one moment, Abraham probably sat down in his tent and said, I don't know. Do you think God can make this journey a little bit easier? I mean, he is God. 
He can stop the storms, maybe make the weather a little bit cooler, God. I don't know. Maybe airlift us halfway through and then we'll walk the rest. Could God do that? You think Abraham probably sat down and thought about all this? Maybe. He's human. But nonetheless, he accepted the yoke that came with the journey. And guess what, family? When you said yes to Jesus, a.k.a. Jesus, his real name, Yeshua, you accepted the yoke of this journey. You understand me? This journey is not easy and it's not for the faint-hearted. You need to be strong for this journey. Real strength, folks, is not in your muscles. Real strength is in your spirit. Look, Orchaim says this, Abraham qualified for a reward by merely expressing his belief in God's promise. You may well ask what practical benefit Abraham received by this reward, seeing that neither Ishmael nor Isaac have been born yet. None of them have been born yet. Look what the sages say. This is why the Torah says that he considered an act of righteous, i.e., this is the example they say, also Abraham treated God's promise to him as if it had already been fulfilled. See, the writers of Hebrews chapter 11, 1, your Bible did a disservice to you. Because literally Hebrews chapter 1 in the Aramaic Bible literally says that that's what his faith is. Faith is the essence of something that you have seen, but you are actually walking it. Abraham walked as if he already has those children. In other words, he's walking it out. No worries. If I say you're a king, now tomorrow you're going to wake up acting like a king. You're assuming position of the promise that God said. What did God say you are in his word? He said you are beloved. He said you, you are going to become prince and princess. He said you are loved. So why are we walking around with depression when he said you are loved? Walk the fact that he said you are loved. Walk the fact that he said you are a special treasure to me. Walk it out every day. By how? By keeping obedience to his word. See, when we keep obedience to his word, we're already walking it out as if it's true. Okay, he called me a prince. And in the Bible, the prince is supposed to be following Torah and following obedience. I need to walk this out. If you truly believe, you're going to walk, family. Because the minute you start now doubting, guess what? You're done. Now it's a rebellious heart at the end of the day. He treated, I want you to understand, he treated God's promise as if it already had been fulfilled. That's huge. Wow. By the way, we can trickle this into your finances too. God said, I will take care of you financially. Then we're going to walk for it as if it is true. How? By being obedient. He says, give, give, give here, give here. Take care of my people. Take care of my sheep. We're going to do it. We're not going to look and see whether we got it. We're going to do it. And we know that it's going to be there. And that's not name it and claim it, by the way. That's obedience. There's a difference. See, you can apply this to every aspect of your life. You can apply this in relationship. You can apply this in your job. You can apply this in concept in your finance. It goes to everything, family. It's everything. Walk it as if it's already a reality. That's what's so amazing. He said, I will bless those who bless you. That's why this ministry supports Israel. Support Israel because we know, I know, and I know, and I know 
that God's word is true. And I'm not doing it for the blessing. I'm doing it because they're my people right now. And as they become your people, you have a responsibility to support your people. Oh, Hashem. Furthermore, seeing that God cannot influence, and I love this, what they say in here. Seeing that, furthermore, seeing that God cannot influence whether man is God-fearing or not. Listen to what Or Chaim is saying. God cannot force you to be what? To have faith in him. Look what the sages of Israel said. All is in the hands of heaven except the fear of heaven. All is in the hands of heaven. God controls everything, but he cannot control your faith. That's what the sages are talking about. The fear of heaven has to start with you. God cannot look at you and force you to love him and have fear in him. It doesn't work that way. Those are movies, folks. The reality is, it's you. You have to have the faith in him. Which means that it might be time for you to go through a wilderness experience. You know what, folks? The more, the, 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 the more we don't trust in God, the more he's going to stink us into the wilderness. It's going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. It ain't going to sweeten. It's only going to sour. Because until you get out of your ways and your selfishness and your disbelief, He's going to keep you in that famine, folks. Ask me how long. As long as it takes for you to turn Shuvah. It may be a 10-day journey or it may be a 40-year journey. See? Abraham could have doubts about God's promise as to the quality of his offspring, right? Even that he could have asked. The Torah therefore gives Abraham credit for not worrying how God could guarantee his children will be worthy. These are even the questions that we ask today. How is God going to do it? How is he going to unite Israel? It looks impossible. Why are we asking these questions? Who's God? Hello, I'm sorry. Do you know who you worship? Do you know who is your God? Because the God of Israel, I trust him 100%. He's going to make it happen. It's not for us to figure it out, folks. You see, this is the things that we spend most time fighting, by the way. So if you're going to come and talk to me about things that are benign and gray area, I'm just going to nod and smile. Okay? Because at the end of the day, it's not worth it. We're going to end with this. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him who of the same promise. Do you know that when Abraham set out to go, and here's another side note, when Abraham set out to go, they reached Canaan. And what is the first thing that they incur? A famine. By the way, the sages of Israel say that the famine was only in Canaan. Not in the world. Because I said it. There was a famine in the land of Canaan. It doesn't say there was a world famine. Only in Canaan. Do you think God did that purposely? God, you promised me this land. And they're all going to have children. It's going to be the land flowing with milk and honey. I get in here. Oh, it's death. Wow. Yeah. This is the aspects that we need to be careful, folks. God is going to test you in every aspect of your life. You need to earn. You need to merit his grace. You need to merit everything. You want the favor of God, then you need to pass the test. Simple as that.
You need to be strong. But the good news is that he sends his Holy Spirit to help you. If you allow it. Look, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, uh, in, a, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Do you know how degrading that was? He lived in Haran. Haran was prestige. You know, he had a mansion, man. He's not dwelling in tents. That's like a hobo in today's language. <coughs> he became a hobo. Dwelling in tents? Who dwells in tents for crying out loud? You see, that's the, that's the whole thing. For he waited for the city. This is why Abraham was able to do this. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. God, Abraham was not looking for that physical Canaan, folks. And I will submit to you, this is the problem in the Messianic movement. We all looking here when our eyes need to be fixed in the millennium to come. Abraham was looking for that city that he knew was going to come down from heaven. He strove through the wilderness seeking that. That's why he was so focused. But the problem is that today we were in about our comfort zone. We were in about it's too hot, it's too cold. I don't like this, I don't like that. We come with this attitude, folks. We need to be focused. I don't care what's going around me. I'm focused in the promise. That's that. If we all collectively did this, folks, the heavens will shake. Answers will be given. Your life will change. I promise you that. That's a promise. You know why I promise? Because he promised it. God said so. <laughs> so my, we're going to end today with that right there. Let us be the ones who are looking for that city. Who the architect himself is God. And as we, when, we, when we talk about that, we're talking about seeking his kingdom. Do you know that his kingdom is here today? You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until you die and resurrect. You don't have to wait for the heavens to open up and Yeshua come down in a white horse. So that's the problem. Most of us are waiting. I'm waiting for you, God, and God is saying, no, I'm waiting for you. What are you waiting for me? You don't have to wait for me. I wait on you. The kingdom is here today. Walk it. Walk the kingdom today, folks. And how do we walk the kingdom today? By being kingdom-minded, by seeking God, by looking after one another, by putting the things of God first before the things of the world. Baruch Hashem. That is your Torah portion for today. And we'll finish up and conclude it with the half Torah that's going to give insight to this. Baruch Hashem. All right, family, real quickly, uh, we're going to do a real quick teaching concerning Isaiah chapter 40, 27 through 41, 16. And what I really would like to do is just really, really quickly here tie into what we read about this morning. Because there is an example that the prophet Isaiah is presenting here to the reader that goes back to what we read this morning. It goes back to Abraham. And we're going to see how. But first and foremost, I want to open up with the mislaid edition of the prophets. They share this, and it's very interesting. It says, after comforting and assuring Israel that its future will be bright, Isaiah prophesies to the nations of the world, challenging them for their misdeeds. He addresses nations large and small, all the oppressors of Israel, near and far, and he speaks as if the redemption has arrived. Isaiah, I, I love the way uh, uh, in here the sages are putting this. It's saying that uh, Isaiah is prophesizing in here as if the, the redemption, you know, the millennium is here. Okay, remember what we talked about this morning? What is faith? 
it is walking in it as if it's a reality. Interesting. The prophet has the same attitude. He's addressing these people as if God is already on earth and he's sitting on the throne as a king. This is the whole point. This is the whole purpose. You see, this all validation in the Torah when we go back to it and we understand it and put it in the proper perspective. So he's saying in here that the prophet is speaking as if the redemption has already arrived and he calls upon them to defend themselves if they can. Essentially, the nation's coming against again Israel. I mean, do we have that problem today? <laughs> I mean, who's against Israel today? <laughs> Nobody, right? Everybody's coming against Israel. The prophet in here is encouraging them now to stand as if the redemption already has taken place, folks. In other words, we're going to challenge the world. The world wants to come against Israel. Guess what Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 2 says? I will bless those who bless you and curse it is those who curse you. We're starting to see the connection in here already and where he is going with this, with this whole aspect in here. So look, Isaiah 41, 1 says, and it opens up by saying, keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength, it says. Let them come near. Let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. It's very interesting what the sages say about this because really the way this actually reads in Hebrew in the opening aspect of it, when he says keep silence, in Hebrew it says, ha harishu elai, it says, e yim. But the word in here that I highlighted, it is harishu. It is the word harash. Now, it's interesting that this word harash connects to idol worship in other words the idols they are known as dumb and deaf okay this is the hebrew word there so when he's saying to the nations be silent it's because there is a connection with idolatry that's taking place in the nation because the idols are dumb and they're silent they can't speak this is the carrier, the connotation, you see? So when he's saying, stay silent, it's not just be silent, but he's saying, be silent because I'm rebuking you because of your idol worship, essentially. But look what it says in here. So it says, Ha-ha-rishu Let's see what our great sages in here say. It says, be silent. That means to hear me. Now, I love what they put in here, okay? Look what they say. One who is speaking does not hear. Bombast blocks logic. Isaiah tells the nations to be silent and listen to God's word. Because this is the problem. We spend too much time speaking, but we don't hear. You ever try to, I don't know if this, you ever experienced this. Has anybody ever came up to you and said, hey, I don't understand this about the Bible. And anybody ever came to you to say, hey, I don't understand this passage. And it's come to you for help. Okay. And the minute you try to explain, they block you off and they start talking. <laughs> Any of you ever experienced that? Okay. Okay. Because, you know, what you're dealing with is a person who's very arrogant. At the end of the day, they're not hearing. And then the funny thing is that months down the road, they come and ask you the same question. It's like, we talked about this. Oh, that's right. You didn't hear because you were talking. Now, it's interesting that this word for bombast literally means one who is talking boastfully. So you're boasting, essentially. He is saying to the nations, I need you to be quiet and listen to my words. In other words, because what I'm about to say, it's going to play out. Amen. 
So this is what we're going so far with this. Isaiah 41. Then it says in here, uh, after he talks about that, he says, Yachda le mishpat nikrava, it says. And that is, let's come together. Yachad is together, mishpat, for judgment. And nikrava, uh, it is from the Hebrew word kara, which is to call out also. So look, the sages say together. Who is the together is the question. When he says together, who is he referring to? No, not Israel. He's talking to the nations. Let me explain what he's saying here. Together, let us approach for judgment. Look what they say. The nations and I, meaning Hashem, will come together as it were, and we shall see which of us is truly strong. In other words, what he is challenging the nations because they're the ones that come in against Israel. And remember, Israel is the one that looks oppressed. Kind of like Abraham. See, this all goes back to the walk of Abraham. We're going to see that in a minute. Now he's going to give the example. He's saying the nations are the ones that are boasting against Israel. They're the ones who are oppressing Israel, right? And he's saying, now the nations and I will come into judgment together. And we're going to see who's the one who has the strength. This is going to happen, folks. As sure as God's vengeance is going to happen. Look. So it says in here, for they, for they say that I do not have the strength to redeem my people. Let me explain something to you, folks. I will submit to you that this prophecy is happening right now. Because you see, in many, many of the people in their heart, they don't see how is it that God is going to deliver Israel. As a matter of fact, the way the odds, the way things look right now, it looks like it's an impossibility. And as a matter of fact, even the people within the body, unfortunately, are kind of accepting that view also. I don't think, I don't even see how God is going to do this. I mean, we're just too scattered. There's just, there's no way. Well, guess what? The nations, it starts with the nations believing this. Where's your God now? What do you think the nations are saying? Where is your God right now? Look. They say that either God is too weak, one, or Israel is too sinful. Two things against why God cannot do this. Either it's an impossibility for God to do it, and or Israel is so wicked at this point that there is no way for salvation for them. The verse declares that neither is the case for the mighty one of Israel. Now we're going to see the trials of the nation in the connection with Abraham. Now he's going to go into the narrative and describing Abraham's walk. Let's see that. Isaiah 41, 2 and 4. Who raised up one from the east? He asked. Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as, a, as the dust of his sword, as driven st uh, stubble to his bow? All this is talking about abraham because abraham was called from the east also we're going to see this look in uh midsting edition says this is a reference to abraham who came from aram which is the east of eres israel although he was a lone figure in a sea of idolaters is that true i mean abraham was really surrounded the odds were completely against him you can say and it says in here that even though he was a lone figure in the sea of idolaters, God inspired him to proclaim his faith to everyone without fear. 
As a matter of fact, I didn't even put this in here, but the sages said that the people were coming against Abraham so bad that the sages of Israel said that Abraham was actually thrown in to a fire. And the Hashem rescued him for that. Could it be true? Absolutely. Didn't that happen to Daniel? I mean, uh, yeah, to Daniel's, uh, Daniel's friends as well. And Daniel himself. When they were thrown into the, the Nebuchadnezzar to the fire and they were spared from the fire. Interesting, they say that the people were coming against Abraham at that time. In the same way in here, the prophets addressing how the nations are coming against Israel. Remember what I said that the fathers are a figure of the nation in the future. This is why it's so important to understand the nation in itself. So it says in here that although he was a lone figure in the sea of idolatry, God inspired him to proclaim his faith to everyone without fear. At his every footstep, talking about Abraham, he preached that people should forsake their idols and serve only God. This is the kind of zeal that Abraham had. This is why he made disciples. Notice, it says that he made disciples. He literally made disciples. Okay. How do you make a disciple today, folks? I'm going to tell you how not to do it. Okay. You don't tickle ears. <coughs> tickle ears. You don't make disciples by tickling ears. You make disciples by proclaiming, quit your idolatry and come to know the one true God, the God of Israel. So look. Although the Hebrew verbs in this passage are in the future tense. It's interesting that they're always referring. Most of the prophecy is all in future tense. Prophecy is often spoken in a mixture of tenses. It says such usage implies that just as God helped Abraham in the past, so will he help Abraham's offspring in the future. Who's Abraham's offspring? There you go. There you go. You're part of Abraham's offspring. He has declared and he's made that promise that even though you're going to be going through a wilderness, remember 25 years, 75, he got called a hundred. The, the promise will become fulfilled with Isaac. By the way, the beginning of the promise for 25 years, this man wonder and went through trials. Only for the moment of that prophecy to become true. And he's saying in the same way, the offsprings of Abraham will similarly go through the same. However, he has made a guarantee that he will, he will have victory for you. Shouldn't that be comforting to each and one of us, folks? I mean, if God is God and he is real, then why are we so worried about it? If he has proclaimed this, through Abraham and to all his offspring. Look, Isaiah 41, 3 and 4. Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, he says. I, the Lord, am the first. And with the last, I am he also. Who is the one that proclaims it? In other words, who's the guarantor of this? He says, I am the one who's called. But look what it says in here. Who's performing done it, calling the generations from the beginning? Do you know what the word there for beginning is? Bereshit. We just covered that two Torah portions ago. In the beginning, God already had proclaimed this. Meaning, what do I mean by that? 
that Israel will go into exile, that Hashem will proclaim through Abraham and his descendants that will be his, that he will give him victory. But better yet, here's the one that you probably don't know. In the beginning, he gave the weapons to overcome the journey. Now, what is the weapons that he gave them to overcome the journey? Let's look at this, family. This is really amazing. Rashi Radak says this. Who accomplished these miracles for Abraham? He who proclaimed the generations from the beginning. From the time of Adam, God ordained what would happen in all future generations. Why from the time of Adam? Because Adam sinned. And what happened to Adam? He got banished from the Gan Eden, right? The Garden of Eden. And what is the works that the Father's doing ever since that very moment took place? The clock began, and what are we working on? Getting back into the Garden of Eden. But he gave a plan, and he gave us the weapons to accomplish this. Now, you want to hear something interesting. When God gives us the weapons to be able to fight the enemy, what is the job of the enemy? To disarm you from those weapons. Like I said, the enemy's not going to wrestle with you guys. Okay? He's just going to do it very smooth. He's just going to take away your weapons. Now you have nothing to fight in the journey. And if he can do that and give you a false expectation, forget it, man. He's got you on. He doesn't even have to spend time with you. He's got 8 billion people and 8 billion lives to ruin. Okay, you don't have time to be spending much with you. So he plants the seed and then he leaves. Kind of like what he did with Adam and Eve. He planted the seed of doubt and he left. He didn't force her to partake of the fruit. He just planted the seed, put doubt in their minds. That's all it takes, folks. What was it that caused the first sin? Doubt. What is doubt? It's the opposite of faith. <laughs> this is why this is so important. That we know Abraham is known as the father of faith. The father of faith. Emunah. See, if there's doubt, the enemy now controls the situation. He controls the game. And now you have entered into his domain. And if you're in his domain, he has authority over your life. So how do we remove the authority? Jerusalem Targum shares something very interesting regarding this. Listen to what it says. In the Jerusalem Targum and Beneshit, Genesis 3.24, look how this reads. It's amazing. Because remember, he's, he's going, Abraham's going in this journey, right? And, and the, the idea is that in the journey... <clears throat> there's going to be challenges, right? And we read about these challenges. The prophet, he, Isaiah, is talking about this, how the nations are going to come against Israel, just like they did with Abraham. But how do we as a nation, as the offsprings of Abraham, and we walk in the footsteps of Abraham, what is it that we as a people need to be doing so that we can keep the faith of Abraham? Yeah, better sheet than here. Jerusalem Targum says this. It says, and he drove Adam out of the place where from the beginning he had caused the glory of his Shekhinah to dwell between the two cherubim. This is talking about the Garden of Eden. Okay. So he drove Adam out, right? Before he had created the world, look what it says. Before he had created the world, he created the law. 
Now listen what it goes on to saying. He established the Garden of Eden for the righteous. Do you know that the Garden of Eden was made for the righteous? Do you know that in the book of Revelation said that there's a tree of life? Where are we going? And what do we read where the tree of life was in the Bible? Where else was the tree of life? In the Garden of Eden. That's the only place that we read. We never read about the tree of life being any other location but the Garden of Eden. But at the end, I want you to think as we're reading this, I want you to think Revelation chapter 22. Okay? Because this is important. Look what it says. He established the Garden of Eden for the righteous that they might eat and take delight in the fruit of the tree. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's an understatement. Because what do we read in Revelation? They're going to go in and they're going to eat of this tree. This is already prophesied in the Jerusalem Targum. Way, way, way back then. Look what it says. So they take the light in the fruit of, uh, uh, the, fruit of the tree for having. Now, why, why are they going to partake of that tree? What is the cause? What led them there? Look what they're saying here. For having during their lives cherish the instructions of the law in this world and fulfill the precepts in this world because they attain to the law of God because they held to the covenant they have the right to the tree of life where do we read that revelation literally verbatim because it says that these are the ones that have the right to eat of the tree of, uh, of the tree of life so look what it says in here for the wicked he established Gehenna okay which is like a sharp two-edged sword okay Revelation chapter 19 says that when he returns back he's gonna come with a two-edged sword from his mouth Yeshua himself these are all words that should be ringing you guys head folks big time in the book of Revelation for all you need to New Testament people you should know this already. Yeah. I should be saying this. You should be jumping a joy. Right? Oh, Yeshua, Yeshua. The two-edged sword is Yeshua's mouth. Within it, look what it says. Within it, he established sparks of fire and burning coals with which to judge the wicked. When Yeshua comes back, it says that he's coming back with the sword in his mouth. And he also coming with fire in his eyes. This is the coals that they're talking about here in the Jerusalem Targum. Look, and it says in here, who during their lives, who are the ones who are going to be judged in here? Who during their lives rebel against the instructions of the law? The law is better for him who toils in, in it than the fruit of the tree of life. That law, that law, which the Memra, who's the Memra? Aramaic is talking about the Mashiach. This is the same word that is used in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This memra of the Lord established. Who established the law? The Yeshua himself. That's what the Targum is saying, that the memra of the Lord is the one that established this law. So look what it says. Which the memra of the Lord established to be kept so that the people might endure and walk in the paths of the way of life in the world to come. <laughs> what are the weapons that God has given us for the journey of Badit Mar, the wilderness? His word. 
what was the strength that Abraham had during the journey for 25 years before Isaac came? His word. The fact that he was called to Lech Lecha in itself reveals that Abraham feared the law of God. And this is what this is so powerful, family, because what's happening today? Today, the system of religion that most of you came out of teaches us that we don't need the law anymore. What does that do? What does that do? It doesn't give you the weapons for the journey. <laughs> See, Satan is not going to come and say, here, I'm robbing this from you. His job is for you to give it up willingly. See, he's not going to force be taken from you. He can't possibly do that anyway. He has no authority. But he can cause you to give it up willingly. Surrender your weapons to me. How do, I, how, do I, how do I get you to give me your weapons? I can't just take them away from you. You're going to fight me. So what do I do? I will come up with a plan that you willingly will give it to me. That's called the system of religion. You see? We have been not equipped for the journey, folks, which is why it's led us to where we are right now. Which is why, by the way, Lot was not allowed to continue with Abraham because Lot didn't have the weapons either. See, this is, in, this is so in, in important for us to understand. We're going to conclude with this warning. In Isaiah chapter 41, 5 and 6, it's actually a warning, believe it or not. And what does it say? It says, the coastland saw it and feared. What did they see? What did the coastland saw? They saw the power and the wrath of the mighty God of Israel. They saw it. I'm going to submit something today to you in connection with today's teaching this morning. The people knew and they feared the God of Noah. This is why Terah and all his family were going to Canaan. Understand this. And here the prophet is saying that the coastlands fear. The ends of the earth were afraid. It, that, was that true in the time of Terah? Yes, they were afraid because they have heard of the flood. Now Abraham is being, now Abraham is the one that's standing up saying, let's, let's worship. Let's go back to true worship. They heard about it. Everybody heard about the flood in the time of Noah. Same thing in here. It says the ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came, it says. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. Now, this is very interesting, family. Notice what it says that everybody, they saw, they fear, and then they said, let us come together and help his neighbor and his brother and, and actually encourage one another. Say, be of good cheer. Sounds so poetic, doesn't it? But it is so wicked. Let me explain why. This is why we need to understand the, 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 the reading through the eyes of the Torah. In the Milstein edition of the prophet, look what the uh, sages of Israel say. Most commentators explain that despite Abraham's victory. Now, how many victories did Abraham have? Plenty. Just today, what we read today, he had victory of all the kings. Remember? All the kings and the kings came, the four kings came and they rebelled. And the king of Sodom was one of them. And he went against them because they, they had kidnapped Lot. Okay. He had victory over all these kings, by the way. And we're going to find out in the rest of the story of Abraham how he's going to conquer kings. So the people are now listening. They're hearing 
hey, you know, the God of Abraham is a powerful God. What happened later in history with the nation of Israel? What happened with Rahab? What she said to the spies, we have heard what God has done. It's, it's always the same thing. How did these people hear about it? It's not like there was internet, mail service or anything. The, the act was so powerful that all the people within the region heard what God had done. It's going to be the same thing in here the prophet's talking about in the latter days. So it says in here, despite Abraham's victory, the Canaanites did not draw the obvious lesson that the idols were powerless against God. Even though God did what he did and passed judgment, hello, he passed judgment against the world in the time of Noah and they still reverted back to idolatry. You getting this? Look what he's saying in here. Instead, what did they do? What did they do instead? Now that they heard of the victories, they hear that God is all powerful. What do they do? Instead, they close ranks and urge one another to strengthen their faith in their idols and help one another to fashion new ones. What happened after 9-11? Oh, everybody was in the churches, right? Praying and we came united. And what did we do? We strengthened one another, didn't we? Yes, be of good faith. But what were we teaching in that? We were teaching people to go back and revert to idolatry. That's what we were doing. We didn't really teach people the fear of God even after 9-11. The churches were packed for like a month. And then little by little, it started getting empty again. Because what did we feed them? A lie at the end of the day. And this is exactly what's happening in here. They're saying in here, instead of taking fear and saying, you know what? Let's repent. What did we do in 9-11? What did we say? We will rebuild again. We will be stronger again. What happens when the nation go through a catastrophe? What do we do? What is the first thing we do? We will rebuild again. What should be the words coming out of our mouth? We shall repent. See, this is exactly what's happening in here in the prophet. This is very, very interesting. And that's exactly what happened in the time of Abraham. Instead of the people repenting and following the God of Abraham properly, what they do is they revert back to their idol worship when i mean by idol worship doing it their way because remember they're all claiming the god of the of the god of canaan basically we can say but they all did it in their own way it's to me it's amazing what they did is they fashioned new ones folks on the one hand look what they say here on the one hand they drew close to abraham they did. They drew close to Abraham, but they learned nothing from the miracles that they have witnessed, unfortunately. How many people do that today? See, we want to come near to Abraham, but we don't want to learn nothing from Abraham. We just want to come near Abraham because Genesis chapter 12 says that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So we think that by claiming Abraham and coming near to Abraham, but not fulfilling the deeds of Abraham, we think that we're going to be spared. This is exactly what was happening back then. You got to see it. Look, we're going to finalize with this in here. Luke 3.8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, says Yeshua. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. 
Aha! This is exactly what the prophet here is talking in Yeshiahu chapter 41. Start calling upon Abraham. Three major religions today claim Abraham. But which out of the three actually is walking it? Think about it. Look. Do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to rise up or raise up children to Abraham from these stones, he says. Again, Yeshua is talking about in here, the grafting in. Stop saying, I'm from Abraham, I'm from Abraham. We, we call allegiance to Abraham, but you're not doing the fruits of Abraham. Well, through the Torah, we already revealed what was the fruits of Abraham. Abraham followed with a circumcised heart. Abraham believed even before he was circumcised, he was obedient. Before he was even circumcised, circumcision came as a sign of the covenant. So what is our job today, family? I will submit to you today that we need to walk in the footsteps of Abraham. How many of you believe in the gospel? Okay. Gospel believers here? Perfect. This message is for you. Because the message is about the gospel. See, the gospel starting with Abraham and being rectified later through Yeshua. And what is that gospel? Let's walk in the fruits of the law that he has given us through Moses. Because that is the weapons that's going to lead us through the wilderness, folks. What route are we taking? We're taking the straight route to Canaan, folks. We're still journeying to Canaan right now. We're all on our spiritual journey. We're all together. Let's leave the lots behind. And let's come together as a family and overcome just as the father has instructed Abraham and for his offspring in the same way. Remember, family, that you are now, and here's another thing, you are now identified with a new family. Oh, Richard, that sounds so poetic. It's not poetic. It's real. Let me tell you how real it is, and then we'll dismiss. Let me tell you how real it is. Because if it was poetic or symbolic, Ruth would have never been the great-grandmother of the king of Judah. Because she was a bloodline Moabite. We can't deny that. So what is she? Why is she the great grandmother of the Jewish king? If she was a Moabite. Ah, you see, because it's not poetic. You see, it's not symbolic. God sees it as real. So real and it's so tangible, family, that she was awarded with that. What, what is the message for us today? Okay. What was the call for Lech Lecha? Get out from your country, from your father's house. Get out from your identity. This is part of the problem that we have today in the Messianic moment. We have an identity, identity crisis. I don't know what I am anymore. God already called you what you are. Why are you so afraid? You know why the reason why we don't accept it? Because we don't have faith at the end of the day. Goes back to faith. Because if you have faith, like Abraham had faith, by the way, we can honestly say that Abraham was not even a Hebrew slash Jew until he became circumcised. Because that term circumcision later was attributed to the party of the circumcision, the Jewish people. So he became the first, if you want to call it, circumcised, so to speak, after Noah, that is. So Abraham crossed over. That's why he was known as a what? As an Ivri, a Hebrew. He didn't have a problem. He came from Haran. And nowhere did we see that he took the title of Haran ever again. 
This is the issue that we have today. Ruth, never identify as a Moabite ever again. From the day she said, your people are my people, your God is my God. Never ever show it to me. Prove me wrong, please. Show me where she identified herself as a Moabite after she made the declaration. So what is that teaching us today? We need to make the declaration. We need to claim we are now the offspring of Abraham. And by making that declaration, by the way, it's not just a declaration. You need to walk it. You need to walk in the footsteps of Abraham. You need to have the faith of Abraham. And you need to leave your lots behind so that we can move forward with the calling that God has for each and one of us. So many people have asked me, what is my calling? <laughs> I don't know. Leave your lot behind and God will show it to you. Step over and cross over and stop jelling back forward. Stop playing lukewarm. Because the lukewarm is not a good thing in scripture. Okay? Either you are Gentile or you are now a believer of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now thus you'll identify with Israel. You pick the pick. What are you? What are you? Folks, identifying with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I got to share something with you. It's identifying with a people as well. Simply put, this is not religion. This is a way of life. That's the difference between religion and a way of life. Okay? The Torah is a way of life. And you now have an identity in him. It's time to take a hold of that. It's time to leave it, everything else behind. Leave your mentality, your Gentile ways behind. It's time to cross over and start thinking like the seed of Abraham. That's right. In Ivrit. Amen. Baruch Hashem. So let's start with um, addressing this idea that Paul discusses where he refers to under the law. There's a lot that... Uh, that he covers when he says under the law or in the law. And so I'm only going to briefly touch on that. In this particular portion, we're going to touch on the idea that we are under a law, right? We're required to follow that law. The portion opens up with, we know that whatever the Torah says, it says to those who are in the law, or as Mark said, under the law, so that every mouth might be stopped and all the world come under judgment before Elohim. Okay? There's an idea here that he can only judge... When, he's been when you've been given the boundaries that he has set forth. His rules. His house rules, if you will. Our sages teach that God created everything through Torah. Which tells us that Torah existed before everything else. If Torah is the character of God, and we know that it is because it does reveal his character, then we know that it would have had to have existed beforehand. This idea is, of course, confirmed by John chapter 1. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All came to be through Him, and without Him, not even one came to be that came to be. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world came to be through Him, but the world did not know Him. Paul confirms this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Because in Him were created all that are in the heavens and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulerships or principalities or authorities, all have been created through him for him. That means for his benefit. As Richard was just saying in the half Torah, the Jerusalem Targum in Genesis 3.24 says before he had yet created the world, he created the law. I'll have you know, I just stole that. I added that just now because it was such a 
great confirmation of what we already understand and what I'm teaching on today. Had to steal it. Psalm 24, 1 and 2 says, The earth belongs to Hashem and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. That means that everyone belongs to him. He can do with them whatever he chooses. Verse 2 says, For he has founded it upon the seas and upon the waters he does establish it. Now Psalm 115 says, in verse 16, it says, The heavens are the heavens of Hashem, but he has given the earth to the children of men also. He's given us the earth. It belongs to him, but he's given, given us dominion over it so that we'd have a place to dwell. The sages teach that everything was created in the first five days of creation, prior to man, in order to prepare the earth for mankind. Abraham knew this. Abraham knew that the God of the world, of all of creation, the God whom he was going to be serving, was the creator of all things and that he possessed all things. In uh, fourteen twenty, in Genesis 14, 22, it says, But Abraham's, Abraham said to the sovereign of Saddam, I have lifted my hand to Hashem, the Most High El, the possessor of the heavens and the earth. He knew that, Abraham, uh, that, that, that uh, Hashem possessed everything that was created. But I want to ask you a question, because it does kind of pose a question. Why did he create the world and all things upon it? Did he just create it and put us here for us to exist? He wants us. What does that mean? He loves us. Leviticus 26, 11 and 12 speaks of a prophecy. It says, And I shall set my dwelling place in your midst, and my being shall not reject you. I shall walk in your midst and shall be your Elohim, your God, and you shall be my people. He has a great desire to live with us, to dwell with us. It's not just to watch us from afar like an ant farm, see what we do and how we operate, but to actually be a part of our ant farm. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the heavens saying, See, the booth of Elohim is with men. He shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And Elohim himself shall be with them and be their Elohim, to be their God. He's going to dwell within our midst. Revelation 22.3 says, No longer shall there be any curse, and the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So he will make his dwelling place here with us. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, it says, The meek shall inherit the earth. Those are those who humble themselves before him. There's this misunderstanding that when we die, we go to heaven. Mm -mm. The heavens are made for the heavenlies. The earth was made for man. We're not going to be there. Better yet, God the Father, who lives there now, will come to dwell with us here in this place. Now, all of this kind of poses some questions. In your house, can you, in righteousness, punish a child or maybe at work discipline an employee for doing something that they should not have known when they didn't know that it was impermissible? No. If they don't know the rules, you can't hold them to the rules. Our God is a holy God. He is holy, set apart, righteous, just, judging without partiality. Let's go back to Leviticus because it speaks of his character. He tells us, 
Do no unrighteousness in right ruling. Do not be partial to the poor or favor the face of the great, but rightly rule your neighbor in righteousness. He also says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Moses is saying, I commanded your judges at that time, saying, When hearing between your brothers, judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with them. Do not show partiality in right ruling. Hear the small as well as the great. Do not be afraid of anyone's face. For the right ruling belongs to Elohim. And in the case which is too hard for you, bring it to me and I shall hear it. So he says to those among your brothers who come to you with an issue, you are to judge righteously with them. Don't favor the poor. Don't favor the great. But across the board, you are to judge without partiality. Yes, equally. And to do the same with the stranger. Well, that means that God has a group of people that he calls Israel. But there are also those outside of Israel. And he's going to judge them the same as he judges Israel. The exact same way, the same measure. Yeshua even said, be careful about how you judge because the way in which you judge, you will also be judged. Okay? So if God's telling us to be careful about how we judge, he's going to be doing the same thing. Now in verse 20 of Romans chapter 3, it says, Therefore by works of Torah no flesh shall be declared right before him, for by the Torah is the knowledge of sin. Well in 1 John 3, 4 we read that everyone doing sin also does lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In the King James Version it says, Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So sin is transgression of the Jewish law, the law that God gave, which is Torah. Okay? Well, that means that he, if Torah existed in the beginning, that he has given Torah to be upon the earth so that when he judges those on the earth, he can judge them righteously and justly without partiality. They've, everyone has been given the opportunity to receive Torah, to receive his word, the Jews have been in this world for a very long time. Millennia, if you will. And everyone knows of the Jews. They are the most persecuted people on the face of this earth. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world, being Abraham, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the Torah, but through a righteousness of belief. That means... That it, God didn't come down and say, I'm going to give you Torah. If you do it, you got the earth. The earth is yours. You can inherit the earth. Because you have Torah. That means that if, as long as you give Torah to your descendants, as long as they have my words, just have the words, then they'll have the earth. No. Because inheritance comes through the belief in God through the working out of the Torah. Obedience to the Torah, if you will. 14 says, If those who are of the Torah are heirs, belief is made useless, and the promise has been nullified. For the Torah works out wrath, for where there is no Torah, there is no transgression. In other words, God gave Torah so that he can judge without partiality and righteously, justly, saying, here's the measure by which you're being judged, and everyone has this. It's been given across the world. 
because he wouldn't be able to judge in the end without having given the Torah first. If God doesn't set his boundaries, he can't judge you for crossing the boundary. James chapter 4, 7 through 8 says, So then subject yourselves to Elohim, resist the devil, he shall flee from you. Well, how do we do that? We do that by being obedient to Torah, walking it out. We draw near to God because he has this great desire to live with us, to dwell here. Now, I want you to imagine a holy God who, who, in whose presence we cannot exist if sin is within us. He doesn't give us Torah so that we know how to remove the sin from us, to be able to walk obediently. So in the end, when he comes to judge, guess what? He has to judge everybody or nobody. If he judges everybody, then nobody's getting in. And he's going to be here on this earth that he created for man, to live with man, but he'll be all by himself. Or he doesn't judge anybody, and now everybody's there, and the wickedness remains. He's a holy God. He's not going to allow the wickedness to remain. So, Torah sets the boundaries for us. It says, draw near to Elohim, he shall draw near to you. Torah teaches us how to draw near to him. Right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and cleanse the heart, you double-minded. How do we do that? We do that by understanding Torah, by observing the regulations that the Torah lays out for us. The precepts, if you will. The statutes. The mishpat. The Aramaic English New Testament says that Torah sets Hashem's boundaries as to what is good or evil behavior. Therefore, this cannot and does not make Torah a bad thing, but a very good thing. Romans chapter 4, going back, it says, uh, in verse 1, it says, What then shall we say, Abraham our father, to have found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was declared right by works, he has grounds for boasting, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed Elohim, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. In verse 1 it says, Hashem said to Abraham, Go yourself out of your land, from your relatives, from your father's house, to a land which I will show you, and I shall make you a great nation, and bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. We, can't, we don't have to read any farther other than to know that Abraham did that to understand that Abraham believed God. He believed that what God was saying was going to happen. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. He just said, okay, well, I'm just going to stay here. I, I believe you, but it's not going to happen. You just, you're kidding, right? I'm 75. My wife's you know, 65. She can't have kids. I'm just going to stay here because I don't believe you. But he believed God. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That means he's going to be fruitful. There's going to be nations and kings coming from within his own body. So he believes God. God goes on in verse 3. He says, I shall bless those who bless you, curse him who curses you. In you all the clans of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham left as Hashem had commanded him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And of course I asked the question already. Would Abraham have gone out of his land if he didn't believe in God and his words? He wouldn't have. If you tell me something and I don't believe it, I'm not going to walk it out. Now, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, it says, After these events, the word of Hashem came to Avram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Avram. I am your shield. Your reward is exceedingly great. And Avram said, Master Hashem, what would you give me, seeing as I go childless in the heir of my house is Eleazar from, of Damascus? And, Ab and Avram said, See, you have given me no seed, and I see one born in my house is my heir. And God said to him, this one is not your heir, but he who comes from your own body is your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And by the way, they're innumerable. He also said, So are your seed. 
and he believed in Hashem and reckoned it to him for righteousness. If God was to walk you out at this, t- at this point in your life today, if you walked out and looked and God said, I'm going to make your seed as great as the number of the stars in the sky, which are innumerable, would you believe him? If you believed him, are you going to walk it out? I would believe him. God has worked amazing wonders in my life. Though I believed him based on what I read when he changed my heart and I began to read the Bible and understand it, I believe him even more so because he's made promises that he's kept in my life. Romans 4, verse, beginning in verse 9, it says, Is this blessing then upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised? Does everybody understand circumcised being the Jew and the uncircumcised being the Gentile? All right, it's a figure of speech that Paul is using. For we affirm belief reckoned to Abraham for, for righteousness. How then was it reckoned being in, un, being in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the belief while in uncircumcision, for him to be the father of all those believing through uncircumcision for righteousness to be reckoned to them also. But that means that we need to be circumcised. We need to circumcise our children because the commandment is that on the eighth day we shall circumcise our children. And if we're not circumcised, how are we going to circumcise our children? Do we expect our children to, to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves? Again, the AENT says, Avino Abraham confirmed his understanding and righteous, righteous credit by obeying Hashem and getting physically circumcised. This is evident in the very next line that while righteousness was credited, credited to him in uncircumcision, he received circumcision as the sign and seal of the righteousness of his faith. Rav Shaul is teaching that Abraham's physical circumcision came after he believed, after he had faith, and after his heart was circumcised in opposition to a contemporary false teaching at that time the circumcision should come first before belief or faith or the one today that says you don't need to be circumcised don't we hear that all the time well you no longer need to be circumcised you have Yeshua all you gotta do is believe well guess what if God required it of Abraham and of every line after him then you need to be circumcised Yeshua was circumcised on the eighth day. Is the servant greater than the master? Hebrews 11. I read I read the entirety of it this morning along with uh, with part of 12 during our, our prayer, but just just a couple of verses here. It says, "Belief is the substance of what is expected, the proof of what is not seen." Abraham believed God. He absolutely believed that what God was telling him was going to happen. God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. How is he going to do that? Is he just going to make him king over a bunch of people and allow a nation to be called after him? This is the nation of Abraham? No. He's going to create from his own loins a great nation who will be a light to the rest of the nations to call them to God's word. Verse 2 says, For by this the elders obtained witness. Abraham obtained witness because he believed in God and walked out what God said was going to happen. God said, I'm going to send you to a land that is far away. I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to let you see it. And I'm going to give it to you. As we know, Galatians talks about the gospel being preached to Abraham. I absolutely believe that the entirety of the gospel. I'm going to give you this land 
And along the way, I'm going to raise up from truly from within your loins a Messiah, a deliverer who's going to redeem all of mankind, all of those who are willing to come to him, to look upon him and re receive the salvation. Then he might be their deliverer. That he could then come along and, and teach them how to walk out my, my laws, my decrees, my precepts. Verse 3 says, By belief we understand that the ages were prepared by the word of Elohim. By belief. Were you there? Were you there at the beginning? And God even asked the same thing of Job. Were you there when I set the foundations of the earth? The boundaries of the seas? Here you may come, but no further? I wasn't there either. But I believe what I read and what I read today to be the truth. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The ages were prepared by the word of Elohim so that what is seen, what we see now, was not made of what is visible. But without belief, it is impossible to please him, says verse 6. For he who comes to Elohim has to believe that he is, that he exists. How can I believe that God created the heavens and the earth if I don't believe that there is a God? Well, that's going to lead to a false belief of evolution Darwinism. Even Darwin said, if, it, if, you, if you never find any evidence of, of these missing links, then when I, my theory isn't going to work out. And I was wrong. That was back in the 1800s. It hasn't been proven yet. He's wrong. There's so many people who still want to believe in that, though. And yet I believe truly that God created the heavens and the earth because I believe that there is a God that loves his people who truly has this desire to dwell with us and gave us his Torah so that we could learn how to approach the holy God having lived in a sinful world. For he who comes to Elohim has to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Remember, those who seek him, just like we profess every Sabbath, the Torah does not come to us, we come to Torah. We come to God, he doesn't come to us. He may work things out in our lives to try to draw us near to him, to get us to acknowledge that he is, but we come to him. We finally give up and say, okay, I'm yours. By belief, Noah, having been warned of what was yet unseen, having feared, prepared an ark to save his house, through which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to belief. Guess what? Noah was, Noah was a righteous man. He was a Zadik. By belief, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he, was, which he was about to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Well, as the sages say, Abraham knew where he was going. He was going, but had he seen it? Did he, did he know what it looked like? Did he know what he was going to experience? No. Did I know that it was going to be windy here? No. By belief, he sojourned in the land of promise as a stranger dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, that the land would be given to them and that they would be made into great nations. Or a great nation, excuse me. For he was looking for the city having foundations, whose builder and maker is Elohim. By belief also, we got to remember that Sarah was a part of this. By belief also, Sarah herself was enabled to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the normal age because she deemed him... Hashem, trustworthy, who had promised. If God has made a promise in your life, 
or you've ran a promise to a patriarch or matriarch that you know also applies to you, do you believe it? Do you know you should? If you don't? If you have any doubts? The one thing I know about the God of Israel, the God whom we serve, is he is faithful in all his ways. If he has said, he will make it happen. And if he's made that kind of promise to you in your life, it's going to happen. It might not be in your time, just like it might not be in my time, the time that I think things should happen. He's going to make it happen. Because if he proclaims the words, his words do not return to him void. That means that they accomplish what he has spoken them to do. Have heart. Strengthen yourself. Stand with the resolve to know that he is faithful in all of his ways. I think I'm done. I think that is your New Testament Amen. Person. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed <laughs> be his name. Wow. Thank you for being a part of our teaching. Be sure to visit our website at www.thefoundationoftheword.org for additional resources and to help us financially. It is our hope and desire that what we teach will help you in your walk with Hashem Elohim, that we bring more souls into His kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.